Good morning, church. Kind of disappointing. I was enjoying being in the crowd, just worshiping. And they made me get out of my seat and come up here. I said, all right, I'll do it. We're going to be in Luke uh, chapter 9 this morning. You have a Bible, you can open it or turn it on or steal one from your neighbor. It's not a sin if you're stealing the Bible. I learned this. Um, just kidding. It might still be. Don't take my word for that. But uh, for those of you that don't know me, my name is David. I'm part of the, the preaching community here at, at Zion. And yeah, I'm excited to just keep going through the book of Luke uh, with you guys. We're looking at the, the life and ministry of Jesus at this point. And so um, I've really enjoyed it. I feel like each week we just we're taking these deep, close looks at like many of the times like these stories that we've heard our whole lives. But we're just getting to go deep into to who Jesus is, uh, what is he doing, um, both in his day and age, and then what is he inviting us to as his people today. So we're going to be in Luke 9. This is the story of Jesus uh, sending out the 12 apostles. Uh, but before we get into the 12 apostles, I want you to think, uh, what was your first job? I love hearing stories of people's first job. Obviously, I, I can't take any stories right now, but... Um, I love hearing about it because it's, like, very humbling, right? Like, many of us work, like, some, some weird first jobs, right? And you'll, like, hear some, somebody that's maybe, like, you know, they've made it now, but, like, they started, I don't know, selling rubber duckies on the side of the road, right? Like, uh, weird stuff. For me, my first job, it wasn't that weird, but it was crazy. I was, I was a waiter. Um, I was a waiter at some, like, fancy, it was, it was, like, middle fancy, right? Like, we're not serving escargot, but, like, this isn't... Um, like Papa John's, you know, we, I, was, I was waiting tables at this place called Papa's Seafood House in Texas, all right? Um, it was a bit deceiving because it had a name like Papa's, but then like you got, you looked at the menu and it was like, this aren't, these aren't Papa's prices. Um, <laughs> these are like Sir Papa's prices, but anyway, so I was working there. Uh, I was new to the job. It was my first ever job. Uh, and I remember I went in for a shift. I worked the evening shift, so I'd go in at like three, four o'clock. Nobody's really coming in for dinner yet, and it's too late for lunch. So you have time to kind of get set up, uh, make sure your tables are good to go. And so I had everything set up, uh, and I walked over to, like, the bar area because I was friends with the bartender. And so I'm just, like, chilling, and there's nobody at my table. There's, like, one guy sitting at the bar area, and he's, like, on a laptop. And I'm, like, who comes to Papa's to sit on a laptop? Uh, and I'm just chilling. I'm, like, talking to the bartender because he's my friend. I'm, like, leaning back, you know, not doing anything that I'm supposed to be doing. Uh, and all of a sudden, the guy who was sitting at the table on his laptop gets up and he walks over to me and he's like, hey, what's your name? And I introduced myself. He's like, oh, well, my name's so-and-so uh, and I'm from corporate. And I said, oh, no. Um, and so he's like, he's like, here, let me just give you, and he's like, I started as a waiter. Let me just give you some friendly advice. And so he's like, you know, stand up straight. He's like, let's not lean on the bar that way. You, you know, if you're going to talk to him, at least like come off the bar because you never know when customers are going to come in. Uh, and he starts to give me all this advice. And I, I just share that to say because the moment that he said he was from corporate, my whole notion of this man changed. Suddenly it makes a lot of sense why he's on a laptop at Papa's on like a Wednesday afternoon. Uh, and suddenly I realized he had a lot of authority, not just over me, but over like the entirety of the restaurant, right? And so I, I share that story because that's kind of something that we're going to be diving in today. We're going to be looking at the notion of authority and power and what it means when you're sent out in the authority and power of, of Jesus, Okay. And so we're going to be looking at this through this, this episode in Luke 9 when Jesus sends out the 12 apostles, all right? And we're going to be answering three questions. So I'm going to tell you the questions now so you can kind of track along with me. We're going to be looking at who, who were the 12 apostles, how, 
How did Jesus send them out? You know, was it just with like a goodie bag or was there like a purpose here? And then we're looking at what? What was their message? So who were the apostles? How were they sent out? And what was their message? And then we're also going to turn that on ourselves, like towards the latter half of the sermon. We're going to say, who are we? How are we sent out? And what is our message? All right, so we're in Luke 9. I'm a bit hot in these speakers if there's a way to, to tone that down. Um, we're in Luke 9, verses 1 through 6. Um, praise God, I finally have a short passage. Uh, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read it in one breath. And he called the 12 together, and he gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake the dust off of your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. This is the word of the Lord. Church, let's pray. Father God, Lord, we love you. Um, Lord, it was just such a gift to get to sing praises to your name and just remember that we are not the most important people in the room. But Father, you are. And Lord, that our authority and our power in this life does not come from ourselves. It doesn't come from our jobs. It doesn't come from the people who lord over us. Lord, it comes from you. And so, Father, it is a gift to just look at your word this morning and remember the 12 apostles as you sent them out. And God, we just pray that you would give us so much wisdom and discernment as we also start to reflect, Lord, of who you've called us to be and, Lord, how you've sent us out. And so, Father, give your people just ears to see, give us eyes, give us eyes to see, give us ears to hear. Uh, we love you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Cool. So we're coming into this, this episode in Luke 9. And we see at the very beginning, Jesus, it says, and he called the 12 together and he gave them power. And I want to stop right there because I think it's easy for us to assume that everybody in the room knows who the 12 apostles are, but that might not be the case. If that's not, that's okay. And if you think you know who the 12 apostles are, let's just revisit it for a moment. Um, so many of us, like if you grew up in a, in a church environment, you're used to hearing about the 12 apostles. It probably brings to mind like some imagery of like some old Renaissance paintings. You know, the ones I'm talking about where they're like all sitting at the table. They're all sitting on like one side of the table. Um, and, you know, you probably think of like Peter and John and James. Those are the, the, the ones that we kind of remember easily. And then after that, we kind of we're like, OK, there's the evil one. There's like Judas. We know him. Um, but after that, it gets kind of murky. We don't really know who these guys are. So I just wanted to look at scripture real quick and remind us. Uh, we first hear about the 12, uh, the 12 disciples or 12 apostles, I'm using that interchangeably, back in Luke 6, okay? And it says this. It says, in these days, he, meaning Jesus, went out to the mountain to pray. And all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them 12, whom he named apostles. Simon, whom he named Peter, and Andrew, his brother, and James, and, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. So this is the calling of the twelve. We just read the sending of the twelve. This is the calling in Luke 6. Uh, and what, is, what had happened at this point, Jesus had already been around for a minute. He was traveling around. He was preaching. He was healing. He was ministering. And then in this moment, it says he goes out and prays, and he comes down, and he chooses 12 from among his disciples, because he already had like a pretty, you know, decent following. We don't know how much, but it, it seems like he had a, a decent amount of people following around. And from that group, he chooses 12 of them, and he names them apostles. 
Now, now, what is an apostle? I know, like, it's common if you're in certain corners of the world, people are going to, like, call themselves apostles. Um, but this is Jesus calling them apostles. And so what does that mean? An apostle is just, it's a fancy Greek word that means somebody who is sent out. Okay, and he chose 12 of them. He says, you're going to be the 12 that I choose, and you're going to be my sent out ones. Now, he chose 12 for a reason, and that was because these 12 were actually going to represent the 12 tribes of Israel. Uh, and whenever we read the account of, of Matthew of the same story, so this is the Gospel of Luke, when we look back at it in Matthew, it actually says that Jesus is going to send these 12s to only the lost children of Israel. So he chose 12 to represent the tribes of Israel, and then he had a specific mission for them of sending them to the people of Israel in that day to preach the kingdom of God. Um, so he had a very specific purpose for them. This was kind of like Jesus' like Navy SEALs squad. Like That's kind of how I pictured it. Uh, and he sends them out for a specific reason. Um, and that happens in Luke 6. That's when he says, you are my apostles. But then something interesting happens. From Luke 6 all the way up to Luke 9, the, the passage that we just read, uh, we actually don't see virtually anything of the apostles. Like, they're not doing anything. Um, and so it's kind of awkward. It kind of feels like a failure to launch, right? Like, Jesus comes. He's like, all right, you guys are going to be my 12. I'm going to send you out on, like, this super secret mission. And then, like, nothing happens for at least three chapters. And so we kind of have to ask ourselves, like, like, what's happening? We don't really know how much time elapses between these two periods, but a significant amount of things happen. And so, so what's happening? Why aren't the 12 doing anything? And the answer to that is, like, in this, at this point, they're simply just students. So Jesus has chosen them, but then the first thing they do is they become his students. So during this time, they're just listening to Jesus. They're following him around. They're watching him do everything. Right after he chooses them as apostles, that's when he teaches on the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Plain. We, we did that earlier. They're there whenever he, he raises the widow's son. They were there when he cast out legion, which Tiffany uh, walked us through a couple weeks ago. They were there when, when Jesus healed the sick woman and, and raised that girl from the dead. Um, and so they were just there kind of watching. They're not in the spotlight, but they're there. And the thing is, this would have been common in that day. Like if you were an important Jewish teacher, remember people first called Jesus rabbi. They thought he was just a teacher. In that position, it would have been common to have like a few disciples who were, who were learning from you, listening to you. They were basically like interns, right? And, uh, but they're not necessarily doing anything super crazy. So it was common to have interns, but what wasn't common was what Jesus does here in Luke 9. All right, what does he do? He gives his interns the exact same power and the exact same authority that he has, and then he sends them out to do the exact same thing that, he, that he's doing. Um, today, we would consider that like public image suicide, right? Like if I, like, this is like a really weird example, but it's the only example I can think of. Like, let's say I'm really good at juggling chainsaws. Uh, I'm not, spoiler alert. Um, let's say I'm really, really good at juggling chainsaws, and I'm, like, traveling around Brooklyn as the, the Brooklyn chainsaw juggler. Um, sounds like a, a horror movie, but <laughs> we're going to go with it. And people are coming from all over the five boroughs to watch me juggle chainsaws. And I'm, like, I'm starting to, to make a living off of this, you know. I'm moving into a two-bedroom apartment instead of a one. Um, the worst thing for me to do at that time would be to teach somebody else to juggle chainsaws because then they're going to compete with me, Right? But the thing is, Jesus, Jesus doesn't operate like, that, like us. He's got this authority and he's got this power, but he doesn't have this scarcity mindset where he's like, no, I need all the following and I need all the attention on me. Uh, he's actually got a, bigger, he's got a bigger mission and a deeper purpose than just his own following, and that purpose is proclaiming the kingdom of God. And so it's in that vein that he 
sends out the 12 to preach to the lost sheep of Israel. And we see something amazing happen the moment, the moment he sends the 12 out. Remember, I said before, during this time, they were just learners. But the moment Jesus sends them out in Luke 9, they move from learner to actually a co-laborer with Jesus. So they go from somebody who's just taking in information to somebody who's actually getting their hands dirty. As a spoiler alert, but we're actually going to find that there's a similar invitation to us, and we're going to get to that later. So that's, so that's who the disciples are. Now I want us to look at how they were sent. And this happens in, in verse 1. It says, And he called the twelve together, and he gave them what? He gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. So he sends them out, not just on their own, but he sends them out in power and authority. I don't know about you guys, but it amazes me like just how fast Jesus throws them into the deep end. Uh, I don't know if you've ever experienced this like in your own job, right? It's like day one and they're like, all right, here's all the financial accounts you're over. And you're like, um, I still haven't even signed the HR paperwork yet. Um, or maybe like, I don't know, your parents' method of teaching you how to swim. Uh, my dad was gentle. He did the whole, like, you know, just hold me and, like, let me kick and learn. Some parents, they're just, all right, like, sink or swim uh, and throw you into the deep end. I feel like that's a bit uh, like what Jesus did. There was no, like, okay, today we're going to learn about how to heal a scraped knee. Uh, he was like, he was like, no, you remember, like, that demon I cast out the other day that ran into a herd of pigs and then drowned them? It's your turn. Um, and so... So, yeah, he sends them out in the exact same power and authority. But he doesn't just send them out in power and authority. And this is actually a really, really important part that I want us to track with because it's going gonna, it's gonna to reorient everything that we understand about power and authority and how it works in the kingdom of God. Because we see he doesn't just send them out with a bunch of power and authority. He actually sends them out with a whole bunch of vulnerability. Uh, what do I mean by that? Let's look at verse 3 together. This is what he tells them, okay? Like, he starts, like, you're going to have power and authority. And the disciples are probably like, yes, amen. And then you get to verse 3, and he says this to them. He says, take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor money. Do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there, depart. Jesus sends them out completely vulnerable. Uh, he doesn't tell them to take anything that they would normally take for a long journey. I mean, we do this, too. Like, normally, if you're going to take a long journey... You're going to bring certain things to try to make it more comfortable so that you're prepared uh, for any situation. So especially back then, if you're going on a long journey, like you're going to need a staff to fend off some wild animals. You're going to need a change of clothes because you're going to smell bad after you've been walking all day. Um, but he doesn't give this to any of them. Uh, many of you can probably resonate. If you, has anybody here ever traveled and the airline lost your luggage? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it happens. Like happened to me when I first moved back to New York. And, and how did you feel in that moment? Uh, for me, I felt, like, really disoriented. I felt, like, uh, a bit, like, yeah, a bit vulnerable. I just remember, like, suddenly you got to mooch off a friend or you're, like, you know, just seeing how many supplies can you get from behind the counter of a hotel. And this is kind of, like, how he's sent them out. He didn't, uh, he didn't give them any of the things that they would need for a long journey. And this is important because when it comes to the kingdom of God, everything that we expect from power and authority is different. In Jesus' day, if you had power and authority and you were about to roll into a village, how do you think you would roll in? You're going to have an army with you, maybe some chariots, maybe some trumpets to announce that you're coming. But when Jesus gives his disciples power, he also empties them of everything else that they would expect to find security in. He doesn't give them an army. 
He doesn't give them a trumpet. He doesn't even give them a sword or let alone a stick. Um, They're just like basically vulnerable out in the open where anything could happen. It's almost like he's saying to them, when you walk in my power, you can't rely on the things that the rest of the world would rely on. And so what are they going to have to rely on if they can't rely on these things? They're going to have to rely on the grace and the provision of God. And so that's how they were sent out. They were sent out with power and authority, yes, but they were also sent out with great vulnerability and having to rely on the Lord. So that was how they were sent out. The last thing is, what was their message? Uh, Verse 2 tells us this. It says, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God. All right, so we know that their message is the kingdom of God. And we hear that a lot in scripture, right? We know Jesus proclaimed the kingdom. John the Baptist proclaimed the kingdom. What does that mean? Well, it kind of tells us a bit more when we look at verse 6. So we can jump to the end of the passage. It says, and they departed and they went through the villages preaching the gospel and healing uh, and healing everywhere. And it's important that we understand what they preach because that's going to shed light on what our message is later. And so when it says they preach the gospel, what does that mean? So if we, if we go to, uh, if we cross-reference this with the book of Mark, because remember Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they share a lot of the same stories. Um, Matthew told us that they were sent only to the lost children of Israel. Mark tells us a bit more of what they preached. If you look at Mark chapter 6, it says, they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. Okay, so part of proclaiming the kingdom, part of what we can expect that they were preaching when they went out was that people should repent from their sins and turn to the Lord. We saw John the Baptist preach this as well, so this isn't necessarily a new message. And we saw that, so yes, they preached the gospel, they preached repentance, but they also healed. They also cast out evil. It says they cast out demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. And this is important because it shows that the ministry of the 12 apostles was twofold, okay? So they weren't just over here preaching on a street corner, repent, repent, repent. They weren't just over here doing good deeds and healing people. They were doing both. And both of those things together was the message of the kingdom of God. All right, you guys tracking with me? Those are the three things. We know who the disciples were. We know how they were sent out. And we know what their message was, okay? So we know that they were sent by Jesus for a specific purpose. He sent them out in power and vulnerability and that they were preaching the kingdom of God, which was repentance as well as healing. And so that was the 12. And now we need to ask, what about us? Who are we? Uh, I know there's many people uh, who would read this passage and they tend to just kind of turn it like a mirror on themselves where they say like, okay, this this passage is for us. Um, But the thing is, we aren't necessarily like the capital A apostles. And we also aren't necessarily being sent to the lost children of Israel. Um, So this passage isn't necessarily like 100% mirror of us in our role. But the thing is, we are being sent so I know a lot of us thought we were about to just like get off the hook. We're like, oh, thank God. Like, David's not about to ask us to do anything uncomfortable today because that's only for the 12 apostles. Uh, sorry to disappoint. It's not true. And the reason I say this is because we know that other people who aren't the apostles have also been sent. Okay? So I'm going to kind of like talk to you for a minute as if like all of you disagree with me and all of you are saying like, no, we shouldn't be sent. Um, Jesus saved us just so we could hang out in the church for the rest of our lives. Um, we know that's not true for a couple reasons. First is we've already seen in the book of Luke, uh, people who aren't the 12 apostles and aren't even Jewish get sent out to preach Christ's message. If you went back to Luke chapter 8, the story that Tiffany walked us through a couple weeks ago with the the man with the demons, uh, Legion, right? That was the name of the the demons. Uh, What happens at the end of that story? You can turn the page real quick if you want. Luke chapter 8, 
verse 39. Jesus says this after he cast demons out of this man that wasn't Jewish. And he says this, return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And it says he went away proclaiming through the whole city how much Jesus has done for him. And so I think my message to us is this, is that if you have truly experienced Jesus just the way that this man has, you are also officially sent. Okay, it might not be in the same capacity as the 12 apostles, unless you've just got a heart for the Israelites still, a heart for the Jewish nation, like all the power to you. Um, but we are still sent. And we see this throughout the rest of Scripture as well. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 through 20 says this. I'm just going to read it for you. This is Paul, and he wrote this letter to a church uh, that was also likely not predominantly Jewish and was also not the 12 apostles. And this is what he tells them about the Christian life that they're living. He says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is in Christ, God was reconciling the whole world to himself not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. All right, and here's the important part. He's gonna tell them exactly who they are in Christ now. He says this. He says, therefore, we are Christ, or sorry, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore, implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So according to this verse, anyone who has met Jesus Anyone who has passed from, from old life into new life, otherwise known as salvation, is also Christ's ambassador. All right, full stop. There's no like, can I opt into this? Can I opt out? I bought the product, but I'm going to unsubscribe from the newsletter. It is, there's no like canceling before the free trial is over. You are Christ's ambassador, and, and you can't get out of it. And that's not supposed to be a burden. That's actually supposed to be a good thing. I'm going to talk about that in a minute. Um, but if you've ever, I mean, if you've ever experienced somebody like a, a new baby Christian, like a, like a grown adult, but a baby Christian, you've probably like seen this happen really naturally. I've seen a handful of people come to Christ, um, you know, like in their late teen years, adult years, and it's usually a beautiful thing. You usually don't have to convince them that this passage is true, right? Like they've encountered Jesus, their life has been radically changed. They've seen uh, just the goodness of God and they immediately start to, uh, I don't know the verb for ambassador, to ambassadize. Um, <laughs> Sounds weird. We're not going to go with that one. We'll choose a different word. They immediately start to promote Jesus whether they want to or not, right? Like, they just can't help it. Somebody's like, man, something's different about you. What is it? And you're like, you know, how much time do you have? Do you want to be freaked out a little bit? I met Jesus, right? Um, and I've, I've, seen, I've seen that operate in new Christians, and it's, it's, it's super cool. And so if you have met Jesus, you've also become his ambassador, which means he has sent you out as well. All right, and so the question is, how are we sent? We saw how he sent the disciples. How are we sent? Um, well, good news and bad news, basically the same way. Um, he also sends us out in power, right? He said we're his ambassadors. If you think about it, ambassadors have a lot of power. They can literally, like, start new trades with countries. They can start wars. Um, if somebody were to kill an ambassador, it starts a war because it's basically the same thing as killing the king or queen that the ambassador represents themselves, right? So ambassadors have a lot of power and a lot of authority. Verse 18 of that 2 Corinthians passage that we just said says, God is actually making his appeal through us, which means God has this message for the world, and we're basically his mouthpiece. Um, that's a lot of power and a lot of authority. Another way uh, that we see the power and authority that Jesus has given us when he sends us out comes from the Great Commission, 
Uh, that's in Matthew 28. And it's, it's a well-known verse, but it says this. It says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Uh, and then Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He sends his disciples out to make more disciples based on his power and his authority, the same way that he sent out the original 12. And we know that that verse isn't just to the 12 disciples, that he's literally sent all believers out into the world to make disciples, because the moment that the Great Commission was given in Matthew 28, up until now, church history is just full of examples of men and women who heard this commission from Jesus and walked in his authority and power and carried it out. And that's the reason why most of us are Christians today. Um, if this was just to the Jewish people and just to the Israelites, most of us would still be in like the pagan traditions of our ancestors. Uh, my people are from like Northern Europe. They did wicked, wicked, crazy things. And so praise God, other Christians saw this seriously and they stepped out in faith. A good example is, I mean, we just celebrated St. Patrick's Day. What was that like last weekend? Uh, the parade's still happening in Bay Ridge today. If you know the story of St. Patrick, it's one of the craziest missional stories you'll ever hear. Uh, St. Patrick was actually, his home was raided and he was captured as a child uh, in Britain and then was sold into slavery in Ireland where he was a slave for like six to nine years. Uh, he eventually goes on this daring like escape journey and he almost dies multiple times, makes it back to his home in Britain, escaped slavery, kind of set himself up for a cushy rest of the life, right? Which like if you were like captured, sold into slavery, like you've earned it, um, you know, enjoy the rest of your years in peace. And so he's like setting up to become a priest and all of a sudden he starts to receive these dreams. And in this dreams, he's seeing the people of Ireland and they're saying, uh, holy child, come and walk among us once more. And he starts to realize that God is actually calling him back into the very land that enslaved him. And so he ends up going back to Ireland, super, super dangerous, but he feels like God had given him the authority and the power to do this uh, and ends up establishing the church in Ireland. And so that's how Jesus sends us out as well, in authority and in power. But also, just like the disciples, in vulnerability. There's a really really beautiful passage also in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, uh, where, Jesus, or where Paul is talking about the Christian life and what it's like to, to walk as a Christian. And he compares it as if we're like carrying around treasure in jars of clay. Uh, this is in 2 Corinthians 4, verses 7 through 10. It says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. So if we are ambassadors for Christ, it's like we're carrying around this treasure in a clay jar. A clay jar was like, it was like the same thing as like disposable Tupperware in the Middle Eastern culture. And so it's like we've got this valuable, valuable treasure. Imagine like this mix of like pearls and gold and we're carrying it around in Tupperware because on the outside, we're weak, we're vulnerable, we're breakable, but we have this uh, amazing, all-encompassing treasure that's inside of us. And so I believe that we're offered actually the same invitation that Jesus gave the 12, that yes, Jesus has gotten us power and authority to go out and to do his work, but he's also called us to radical vulnerability and dependence on him. And I wonder, like, if you were to think of your own life right now, think about how much vulnerability or dependence on God you feel on a daily basis. Because uh, fortunately and unfortunately, like, we live in a society where it's very easy for us to, like, 
uh, establish ourselves and we can kind of build lives around a lot of comfort and convenience and we don't have to feel a lot of vulnerability. We don't have to feel a lot of exposure um, and we're wired for self-preservation. And so I think if truth is going to be told, if we're going to live lives that are radically vulnerable and dependent on God, odds are we probably have to make a few adjustments into how we go about following Jesus. Um, it's probably going to involve pressing into the things that scare you the most. Like when you read the Bible and you see the commands of Jesus on your life, the ones that like you like turn the page as fast as possible, like, okay, read that. Uh, like those are probably the areas that God is asking you uh, to trust him in. Maybe it's, maybe it's your giving, right? Like when Jesus says like, hey, I actually want you to partner in my work financially. Um, and that's the part that scares you. That's probably the very part that he's calling you into in order to trust him more. If it's sharing the gospel where you're like, I don't know, like I stumble over my words a lot. I don't really know how to do that. He might be asking you to trust him. Uh, if it's leading something, whether it's a ministry or a group uh, or something like that to the glory of God, that might be uh, where he's asking you to trust him. Because it's only in the moments when we are really, really vulnerable uh, and we don't have all these protections that we've built up for ourselves that we actually really learn to start relying on God. And it's in those moments that he actually begins uh, to build our faith because we see that it's his working and then that's what's going to make our faith grow. Um, I give a quick illustration of this in my own life and I really struggle with whether or not to share this one because um, it's like it's a bit embarrassing. Um, but I've, I've been privileged to get to like work in ministry for, for a long time. And so like uh, the thing is, whenever you work in ministry, you, you get trained a lot in things like, you know, like how to share the gospel and you learn like a lot of like frameworks and, and you can actually get where you are relying less on the power of God and more just on your own intellect and bravery and courage and all these things. And so like I've been able to sit across from the table from like fundamental Islamic extremists and share the gospel and not be afraid. Okay. And that's, like, that's okay, but, like, in that moment, I'm relying on my own power. Um, but then when it comes to, like, my own family, it's, like, suddenly, like, I'm, I'm shaking at the knees, right? And, and I remember not long ago, the Lord really started to convict me from this because I have one older brother. Uh, I love him to death. He's, like, the coolest older brother. He's, like, a firefighter, and he does, like, special rescue things. And, like, um, one time he, like, borrowed some of the equipment from his station and, like, took me rappelling off the side of a cliff, right? Like, super cool, like, trust exercise. Like, do I trust my brother with my life? And then you walk off the side of a cliff. Um, awesome, awesome, brother. We have a great relationship. We are, like, just completely different when it comes to spirituality. Um, he grew up in the church, but then, like, when he was, like, 13, left it, never came back. Um, whereas, like, I've, like, just dove into the deep end. Uh, and now it's, like, we're, there's this thing where, like, every aspect of our life, we get along so well but it's like the one thing that we can't really talk about is Jesus. And, uh, and you know, and they, like there's times like in my life where I was like kind of okay with that, you know, and, uh, but, but God really started to convict me uh, not long ago of like, you know, maybe it's time to just like have a deeper conversation with your brother, like at least figure out like where is he at when it comes to the whole God thing. And I was, I was so intimidated uh, because the thing is my brother has seen every aspect of my life. He knows me from before I was a Christian. He's seen me as a Christian. He's seen uh, the hypocrisy whenever my life wasn't matching up to what I professed. And I was, like, so much more afraid to have that conversation with him than I was, like, anybody else. Um, but I remember just praying. I remember trusting the, God, trusting the Lord, and I just waded into that conversation. Now, it's not one that necessarily ends with, like, a miraculous story and, like, a really cool conversion. But, like, me and my brother for the first time and probably, like, the history of our lives actually talked about God, and he was able to actually, like, kind of articulate something about where he was at with the Lord. Um, and it's just really, it's in those moments when there's just so much weakness that uh, we really get to see the Lord show up. Because even though that moment doesn't, didn't necessarily plan out with, like, a result that maybe 
I would have wanted. I don't even know like what I was expecting, but still just wading into that conversation, I remember feeling like the peace and the power and just the joy of the Lord of like, you know, I might be looking like a complete fool right now because my brother was just wanting to enjoy his burger, but now I'm making him talk about God. Um, but I felt like the Lord was honored in just, in just that trust. All right, so he sends us out in the same way. Power and authority, yes, uh, but great vulnerability also, yes. And so finally, what is our message? We saw the message of the disciples. Our message is the same message. We are still here to proclaim the kingdom of God. And that kingdom of God is still twofold. That yes, there is forgiveness of sin for the one who repents and believes the gospel. And that also that there is healing in Jesus' name. All right, so, so, so the world is, is wrecked by sin, including in our own lives, and that sin is forgiven when we repent and trust Jesus. But also the world is wrecked by sin and darkness in other ways, whether it's um, just the oppression that we see or whether the poverty that we see, but Jesus, and, and also the disease that we see in life, but Jesus is also still taking back land from the kingdom of darkness as the kingdom of God advances. And I just want us to stop here for a quick moment because I do think we live in like this age and time where we like to put those two against each other. Uh, even in the church, right? You'll have camps of Christians that'll say, hey, to preach the kingdom of God means we only go out and we call people to repentance. And the only thing we do is we point out people's sin and we get them to repent and trust Jesus. And then you have other camps that go, you know, we're not really gonna worry about all that. We're gonna do, you know, uh, preach the gospel. And if you have to use words and we're just gonna do a bunch of good things for people and that's what the kingdom of God's about. But we never see that distinction in scripture. In scripture, it's always both. And so I think if anybody ever sitting there trying to say like, ah, Jesus, God doesn't really want us like talking about other people's sin and calling them to repentance. Or if they're like, you know, like uh, God doesn't really care about all this social justice stuff. He really just wants people saved and, and to repent. Both of those sides probably have an agenda and not, it's not the kingdom of God because we see that the kingdom of God is both. And so that's our, that's our message. Um, that's how we're sent and that's who we are. And so as we, we get closer to closing, I just want to ask you, do you know these things for yourself? Like, do you know who you are? Do you know that you're an ambassador of Christ? That doesn't mean that you're a self-righteous, angry person sitting on a street corner um, with, you know, those scary signs. You've all seen those guys. Um, you know, it doesn't mean uh, ambassadors at the end of the day are diplomatic, all right? So you're, you're allowed to be, like, tactful as you figure out how to share Jesus. That's okay. Um, do you know that God has sent you out into the world with authority and power, and that you can walk into these vulnerable situations, and at the end of the day, you can still rely on the strength and grace of God. Um, because I do think there is a deeper invitation. When the Lord calls us to evangelism or to share Jesus, it's not because he needs our evangelism. He's like, man, I would save people if Zion Church would just do what they were supposed to do. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, I'm saving people, and I want Zion's church relation with me to grow and flourish as they trust me in faith and they step out and follow me in this. It's all for your knowledge and your joy in the Lord. That's why he calls you to be his co-laborer. And that when we, when we understand that, it completely reorients how we, we go and, and serve the Lord. It's not like, okay, I got to be a good Christian, so I'm going to share Jesus. It's like, man, I don't know what Jesus wants to show me in this conversation, but I'm just going to go into it in faith and see how this person responds to the gospel. And do you know the message that you've been given to carry, uh, that there is forgiveness in Jesus' name for those who repent? and that all the things that are broken and dark in the world are being undone in his name. And so what does this practically look like in your life to kind of make some, some shifts, maybe more from, from that position of learner, somebody who sits and like absorbs what Jesus says, which is a good thing. I'm not saying don't be a learner, but what does it look like to make that shift into somebody who is also practically co-laboring with Jesus? Um, I've got 
I've got four ways that I want you to think about, and then I'm going to pray, and, uh, and, we, and we, can, we can worship. But um, there's some things going on in Zion Church that could help you put some of these things into practice. Um, for those of you that were at the members meeting a couple weeks ago, these are going to sound familiar. They're in no particular order, but mine is first. Um, <laughs> the first one is a program called Karama Kids that we do uh, offering after-school homework help uh, to the Arab Muslim community in Bay Ridge. It's just a way that they're able to meet their Christian neighbors, feel supported and loved by them. Uh, we meet on Tuesdays and Thursdays. We always need more volunteers. Uh, if you're interested in that, come talk to me. I'll just go ahead and preface with like, we meet from like four to 5.30, so those hours don't work for a lot of people, but if they do and you wanna be involved, uh, come talk to me. We're also launching an initiative at Zion called Care Portal, which is basically just like this online connection tool that allows our church to see like what needs are being pinged by social workers throughout the city. So there might be somebody who's, uh, who's in danger of losing their kids to the foster care system if they don't get like some better mattresses and equipment for their kids in their house and these people are at need. And so what that caseworker will do will actually uh, throw that up onto this platform and churches can see it uh, and go, be part of meeting that need directly with that family and building a relationship. Zion's looking for, uh, I think, at least two people to help uh, grow that and spearhead that in our church. And so if you're interested in that, go talk to Justin or Winnie. Uh, part of this might mean not just getting plugged into Bible studies, but being part of leading a Bible study, being part of inviting people to a Bible study. Uh, and then many of us, what that's going to look like is in our own lives with families and friends. Um, think about those people who you're absolutely terrified to bring God into the conversation. Look like a fool, trust Jesus, and do it. Um, but yeah, church, I, I just firmly believe, and this is stuff that I preach to my own self, so please don't, please don't see me as somebody up here like, hey, this is, I figured it out, this is how you do it. Um, I'm just somebody trying to, to trust the Lord and walk with him in these things as well. Um, but I want us to, to assume this posture of, like, this is what we grow in together. Um, this is what we're discovering about the Lord together as we serve him. And I just, I firmly believe that this is for our own joy in the Lord. This is for our own uh, increase of faith in the gospel and in the work that, that the Lord has called us to. Um, but, yeah, we're going to pray. But I just want to encourage you, if, if any of this is, is resonating, or maybe you feel, like, very distinctly God is, is pulling on your heart to step out in faith in some of these ways that we've talked about and whether you're scared or just want like an extra heaping of prayer on top of that, uh, we're going to have our, our leaders just available for prayer. If you feel the Lord speaking to you any type of way, whether it's conviction or anything, you just need somebody to pray with, uh, we're going to be available as, as we worship. So uh, let's pray. Father God, Lord, we, Lord, we just say that we need you. Lord, we know you have called us to measures of faith that on our own we are too weak for. And Lord, we just say as a church, we want to trust you more. Father, as a church, we want to see you work more, Lord. And we, we repent for the ways that we have just built up our own tools of self-preservation. Lord, when we have tried to follow you on our own terms. And God, we just ask that you would, first of all, tune our ears to hear those, those ways that you're asking us to step out on faith. God, I pray if there's people here um, Lord, that have just felt you call them, whether it's to share the gospel with somebody, Lord, or step out in a new type of ministry, Lord, we just pray uh, that you would cover them, Lord. We pray that you would give your spirit to strengthen them, God, and help us to be a church body, Lord, that, that just encourages each other uh, to good works. Father, and I just pray that as we walk, as we walk this out, Lord, that, that we'd see more and more of your provision, more and more of your power, and more and more of your, your authority, authority working in us. 
um, so that Father Zion would be a church that can't just sit and uh, regurgitate what they've heard in ser uh, sermons, but would actually be able to share how they've seen you working in their individual lives together. Father, we pray you would do this for the glory of your name and, and for the good of your church. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.